welcome today. And uh, if you're new with us this weekend, please know that we're just wrapping up a series where we've been talking about membership at Grace. It's called Meaningful Membership. And we've been looking at some of the covenant expectations that all of us who've, who've made this intentional decision to be covenant members, the things that are expectations that we share together. But far more important, these are all principles that God has put in his word that the women and men of God throughout centuries have had in their lives as positive transforming disciplines. So for one final time this weekend, let's look at this list again. We started, I will love, honor, and obey Jesus Christ above all else in my life. Understanding that my life is my ministry, we're going to say a bit more about that today, I will seek to represent Jesus well at all times. This is lordship. He deserves everything we are, everything we have. He is Lord of our lives. Can you declare that? Is that a declaration that you can make with integrity? Secondly, we talked about prayer. We said, I will learn and practice the disciplines of private and corporate prayer. Jesus had a profound prayer life, and if we're following him, obviously, it's just natural, we're going to be committed to this positive discipline called prayer as we commune with the Lord. Third, we talked about the place of Scripture in a, in a growing disciple's life. Every healthy Jesus follower has at the core of their life the Word of God because that's where we learn what we're to believe and how we're to behave, how we're to live every day. And so we said, I'll become a consistent student of the Scriptures. We're going to hear, read, study, memorize, and and meditate on God's word so that it just becomes, uh, you know, a part of our lives. So it's internalized. And it just literally, every time, no matter where you cut us, we bleed Bibline, okay? Because the Bible is such a part of our lives. Fourth, we talked about whenever I'm in the Capital District, look, I'm going to regularly participate in public worship, celebration, and fellowship with the corporate body of believers called Grace Fellowship. It's important that we not forsake that, according to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. God wants us to get together. The early church certainly practiced that. They set the precedent, they set the bar high, and we want to do that as well. Fifth, we talked about the place of growing in generosity. I will tithe at least 10% of my income to support the Lord's work. Jesus taught that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And this is one of those things that really is one of the kind of final litmus tests, I believe, just an observation that kind of sets apart people who are deeply committed to the Lord and his kingdom and his purposes and those who are still a bit tentative about that. So naturally, we want to grow in generosity. And then last weekend, we talked about the place of deep and meaningful relationships because God uses those to move us along. I will build meaningful relationships that lead to spiritual growth. Question, do all relationships lead to spiritual growth? This is an IQ test. No, they do not. The answer is a resounding no. In fact, 
Some relationships actually lead us away, honestly, away from the Lord. They cause us to drift from Him. We're looking for relationships and be intentional about it where it's actually going to bolster our faith and spur us on to be more Christ-like. Those are the kind of relationships that, that all of us should, should certainly be seeking. And I just want to say for the final time, if you practice these positive things out of a heart of love for Christ and you never become a covenant member, I'm ecstatic because I want you to be all God designed you to be. And these disciplines are the things God will use by his grace to help move you there. You cannot do it on your own. These are simply cooperation with God. He's the one who does the growth. He's the one who brings that about. But we cooperate by engaging in these kinds of disciplines and, and many others, frankly, that we could name. But if you practice these out of a heart of love for Christ and you choose to become a covenant member, I'm doubly ecstatic because obviously God is doing special things through this team called Grace. And we love it when people intentionally partner with us. So let me say for the final time, uh, just in light of this special series, I, I'm going to do sort of a one-time abbreviated version of the membership class. We have awesome teachers. They certainly don't need me. They lead and teach this class so well and will continue to do so as it's offered from time to time throughout the year. But on Sunday afternoon, February the 12th, now they say, there, they say there's going to be a little snow around this time. Don't let a little snow keep you away, all right? In fact, we may just decide to go out and play in the snow after the class and build a snowman or two, all right, if the weather report is true. But I want to see you there. But let us know you're coming. So we can have child care if you need that. It's, it's provided. No hassle, no problem. We're going to have refreshments. We're going to have materials for you, but we need to know you're coming. So let someone in the lobby at the information center or go right online. You can still sign up for this class. But today, we want to unpack the final of the seven statements in our membership covenant that makes membership at Grace not only a bit unusual, but honestly very very meaningful. And here's what it says. I will discover the talents and spiritual gifts God has given me, and I will serve. I will serve. And at least one ministry through the auspices of Grace Fellowship. Now, what in the world is that about? What are we really looking for there? Some years ago, that eminent statistician, George Gallup, who was always polling the American people about something, he actually decided to talk to church people. They did an extensive survey of regular church attenders in America, and here's what Gallup discovered some years ago. He said 10% of the people in the church are actively engaged in meaningful ministry. Only 10%. That didn't surprise many pastors, I don't think, but a lot of people were shocked by that. He said a full 50%, honestly, were fully satisfied just to be spectators, the word he used, spectators, to kind of sit on the sideline and observe. But here's the most interesting part of the study for me. 
Gallup concluded that 40% of the people surveyed said they would like to become involved, but they either don't know how or have never been asked. They either don't know how, 40%, or they've never been asked. Today, I want us to look inward. And I want us, all of us, to ask ourselves the question, how am I doing being a steward of the gifts, talents, abilities that God has given me? Because when we come to the end of life, friends, here's the important question. Not just the salvation question, what did I do with Jesus and his atoning death for me on the cross? Did I embrace that? Did I accept that? by repenting of my sin and receiving him as my Lord and Savior. That's the salvation question. But the only other question is the stewardship question. What did I do with everything else he gave me? Only two questions on Judgment Day. But everything is encompassed in those two questions. And today, we're unpacking the second of those incredibly important questions questions. I'm asking you today to actually probe your soul and say, what is the purpose? What is the mission for which God has put me on this earth? How has he equipped me? What does he want me to be doing with this one and only life? What a question. And I believe that finding and fulfilling that mission is the key to a satisfying life. So let's unpack this final statement in the covenant. First, let's look at the reality of spiritual gifts, talents, and abilities. The truth of the matter is that God has given every one of us talents, abilities, gifts to be used for his glory and for the good of others. And we need to find out, we need to know what those are. I heard of one young man who was trying to figure out what his gift was, and so someone invited him to sing a song in church. He was in this small church, and he got up to sing a song, and quite honestly, if we're going to be honest about it, it was terrible. This young man, I mean, it was awful. He didn't hit a single note, and it was obvious to everyone. He's just trying to find his gift, though, and when he sat down, no one said a word to him because they didn't know what to say. It was so bad. They couldn't say anything positive. And it was just kind of awkward. He kind of stood over in a corner by himself. And finally, one older gentleman walked over to him and smiled and said, Son, it's not your fault how the song came out. You were just singing to the Lord to the best of your ability. But whoever asked you to sing ought to be shot. <laughs> you don't want to be that guy, all right? It's important that we know what our gifts are and what they are not. Could you tell that right now? Would you be able to kind of stand up and just say, these are my spiritual gifts. These are the talents God has given me. Now, if you're a student of this, if you want to learn more, there are three major sections in the New Testament that describe and talk about spiritual gifts. We do not have time at all in this message to unpack all of those, so please don't expect that today. That would be way beyond the scope of this message. But those three main places are Romans chapter 12, Romans 12, 
Ephesians chapter 4, and then three chapters right together in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Those are the three main places that talk about spiritual gifts. And there's a bunch of them. And there are other minor sections. But if you read all of those and study them carefully, I'm going to suggest that here's what you would conclude. God gives us talents, gifts, and abilities not to be put on the shelf, but listen, to be used for His glory. And if He's given you a gift, here's the word of the Bible, you'd better start using it. If He's given you a certain gift, ability, talent, God wants you to use it. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's at least one area, and probably several, where God's given you the ability, the gifting, to actually make an impact, to make a difference for Him. It may not be spectacular, it may not be super visible, that's okay, but He's given you a niche in the body of Christ. That's what spiritual gifts are all about. I like this passage in Matthew 25 where Jesus is talking about the stewardship of our talents. He said, for it's just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves or servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey immediately. The one who'd received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who'd received the two talents gained two more. But he who had received the one talent went away and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, this parable of a talent, it was originally a sum of money, considerable sum of money, Jesus is using here this as an analogy for our gifts, our talents, our abilities. And I want you to notice a couple of things from that little passage. First of all, the Lord distributed the gifts unequally. I want you to note that. And we need to be okay with that. Some people struggle that Jesus gave them unequally. Equally, one got five, another got two, but another got only one. Now, if we designed that parable ourselves in our culture and we had eight gifts to give to three people, we'd have given three to the first one and three to the second one and borrowed one from the government and given three to the third to try to demonstrate that all people are created equal. Now, listen to me carefully. All people are created equal. If you mean by that, all people are equally loved by God. All people are equally precious to God, no matter who they are. All people are equally important to God in terms of their essence as human beings. Amen, amen, amen. I hope you're hearing that. I hope you're hearing that. But if you mean that all people are created equal, that we're all gifted equally, you better rethink that. Jesus said, even from birth, some people are five times more talented, more gifted, with more aptitude than others. Some have more physical dexterity. Some have a whole lot more emotional intelligence and capacity. Some have unbelievable 
IQs, and so forth and so on. We are very different in the way we're gifted. But the second thing I want you to notice from this parable is that the Lord gives his talents individually. I think this means that every gift is tailor-made for that person's temperament, their opportunity, and their passion. I heard about a sign outside of a dude ranch in Colorado, and the sign proudly said, we have horses here for everybody. For big people, big horses. For thin people, little horses. For fast people, fast horses. For slow people, slow horses. For people who have never ridden horses before, horses that have never been ridden before. I sure am glad that's not the way Christ apportions our gifts. He knows you intimately. Your temperament, your full passion in life, your opportunity, and he gives the right gifts that he has in mind for us. I'll tell you one thing I'm encouraged by about this passage because I consider myself one of those two-talent people that really tries to make the most of the two talents God's given me. I'm somewhere in the middle of the pack, I believe. I'm encouraged by the fact that the guy who got five and the one who got two got the same commendation from the master. You know what that tells me? They both got this commendation, well done, good and faithful servant. It tells me that I'm not gonna be held responsible just for what I accomplish, oh no. It's not going to be compared to some person who has far more ability than me. No, I'm going to be held responsible for what I did with the opportunities, the passions, the personality, and the gifting God gave me. And that ought to be very encouraging to every one of us. We're only responsible for what we did with what we were given. The question at the end of life is, what did you do with what you were given. Did you make a difference? Did you use it for impact? Or did you hide it in the ground? Or put it on the shelf? God has called us, brothers and sisters, to a meaningful life of service for him. Jesus gave his personal purpose statement in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Here's what the Lord said. Look at this. For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus' favorite title, it seems, for himself, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So if God is stirring you, if God is doing something in your life these days and he's kind of nudging you in this direction and saying, look, there's more you need to do. There's more you need to explore, perhaps. Or maybe this is a brand new season, a brand new chapter of life for you. And God is saying, look, I want to use your life in ways that will blow your mind. I want to share with you four questions quickly that we all need to ask if we want to live a meaningful life of service. Question number one, what are my gifts? What are my gifts? Could you answer that? Now, as the word suggests, a gift is something that God gives you. It's a grace gift. It 
might be something like the gift of mercy when you can greatly empathize with people and come alongside and cry with them. It might be encouragement. It might be that God's given you an amazing gift of proclamation and communication. Maybe you're a fabulous teacher. Maybe that God's given you the gift of leadership. Romans 12 reads, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Catch this part. We have different gifts according to the grace that's been given us. And so the first question is, what are our gifts? If, if you don't know, I'm going to tell you in a minute how you can help find out what will help you to discover your gifts. Second question, what are my abilities or what have I learned to do? I'm talking here more about acquired things. Not the gift that God gave you, perhaps, but what you, maybe you've developed. I know some medical doctors, for instance, who love to go on short-term mission trips and use their skills in various ways to serve on the mission field in developing countries. I know carpenters, people skilled at building, who do the same kind of thing. And they go and build a house or a church building. We've had many trips like that. And God uses that. Or they do it locally to help with some of our service projects and ministries here locally. Maybe you have amazing computer skills. Well, that's not particularly a gift you're going to find listed in Scripture. But maybe it's a tremendous ability you have. And perhaps you can volunteer through your congregation, your campus, wherever it may be, Greenbush, Saratoga, Half Moon, Latham, and get involved and work a few hours a week. Perhaps you're good at decorating or sewing or communicating or fixing things. I'm convinced that God's given you some skill that can really be used to serve not just the body of Christ, but to serve people in the community. 1 Peter 4 reads, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do so as by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified. I love that part. That's the whole bottom line of it all, so that God may be glorified. Through Jesus Christ, to who belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. God will use your abilities. Third question. What are my gifts? What are my abilities? Third question. What are my passions? I may have an aptitude for something, but I just don't have a particular passion for it. I, I need to ask, what, what motivates me? What kind of gives me energy? What do I love to do? Because listen, listen, this is important. None of us can serve God very long in an area where we have little or no passion. Hope you heard that. That's real important. None of us can serve God effectively very long in an area where we have little or no passion. Some of you love children. Some of you, that's just not an interest at all. You have no passion for kids. Some of you love to work with young adults. Some of you, that, that's not even on your radar. Some of you have no leadership ability. You have no interest, no passion at all. Others of you, that's all you think about is leadership. It's your passion. 
You just read about it. You pray about it. You try to learn constantly because it's a passion in your life. Those three questions are vital. What are my gifts, my abilities, my passions? And if you don't know what those are, I strongly urge you to check out our class 301. You can learn more about it online. You can learn at the information center in your lobby. But class 301 is all about discovering my design, and you do have a divine design for ministry. What is that design? Now, many people stop right there, though. Those are the only questions they ask, and it's sad, really, because there's a fourth question that is vital. God doesn't always just lead us to do things where we have this tremendous passion, ability, and gifting. The Bible's full of examples of men and women who just did, here's the question, what needs to be done? What needs to be done? That's what a real servant will ask. If something needs to be done, hey, I'm willing, I'll do it. It's unlikely that any of us will ever feel real passionate or gifted at washing other people's feet or moving chairs or cleaning floors or scrubbing the restroom. But sometimes those are things that need to be done. Jesus did the servant's job of washing feet. You know why? Because it needed to be done. And we all need to be open for those opportunities. As construction began on a magnificent cathedral in Europe, the story goes that an angel came and promised a large reward to the person who made the most important contribution to the finished sanctuary. And through the years as the work progressed, people continued to speculate about who would get that large reward. Who would make the greatest contribution to this magnificent edifice? Would it be the architect who designed it all, the contractor, the woodcutter, the artisans who were skilled in working with brass and iron and glass and gold? Or would it be maybe that carpenter who was so skilled at that intricate woodwork in the grill around the altar area? Because each of the workers did their best. Let me tell you, that sanctuary was magnificent. And when the moment came to announce the winner in the reward, everyone, everyone was surprised. The reward went to an old, poorly dressed peasant woman that nobody had noticed. What had she done? Every day, she carried hay to feed the ox that pulled the stonecutter's marble. She had made the most important contribution of all. Every day she had faithfully done her job. Blaise Pascal has a wonderful prayer. Lord, help me to do big things as if they were little, because I do them with your power. And help me to do little things as if they were big, because I do them in your name. What a great prayer for all of us to pray, whether our calling in service is glamorous and public or whether it's behind the scenes 
and very, very humble. We do it in his name for his glory. But as we turn the corner today, we've looked at the reality of gifts and talents and abilities. I want us now to ask the big question, what are the results of using our spiritual gifts, talents, and abilities? And there are two positive results that I want you to note. First of all, the first result or benefit is that the church is edified. That's just a stained glass word, edified. That means built up. It grows in strength and effectiveness. The church, in other words, needs your gift to be healthy. How many times have we heard a great basketball coach make a statement like this? Look, we're going to need all five players on the floor giving their absolute best, playing to their absolute max if we're going to win this thing. If only two or three are living up to their potential, we're likely going to sh fall short. And I believe a church like Grace has unbelievable potential. But we're not going to reach our fullest potential unless the maximum number of people are involved using their God-given gifts and abilities for him. What is that for you? I know that some of you are involved serving in hospitals, schools, ministries, to people in prison, ministry to young people, ministry to the needy, people who are homeless and hungry and hurting and feel hopeless in life. Some of you are involved in crisis pregnancy centers. That is awesome, awesome. God bless you. I hope that God continues to use you in vital ways like that. Grace now has 16 partnerships, 16 local organizations that exist to relieve human suffering and bring hope to people who are living on the edge. Hundreds of us, hundreds of us are actively involved in serving on a regular basis through those partnerships. And so I strongly urge you to get involved with a Grace in Action partner. You can find out who they are online and you can see opportunities right there online to sign up and, and get involved and, and make a difference. But the bottom line is we all need to find some area of service so that the whole body can become all God designed it to be. But the second result or benefit is that you personally, personally, are fulfilled. We live in a culture where I, I, I notice that the American people particularly are very interested in personal actualization. We're very interested in kind of what's in this for me? What am I going to get out of this? And, and that's not a totally selfish thing to ask because Frankly, I believe God wants us to be fulfilled. Romans 12, 3 says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. And I'm convinced that there's no more fulfilling life, if that's what we want, than to actually let your life be your ministry. Look for opportunities to serve and make a difference and for to use your gifts for God. Lori Anderson is a Christ-centered woman in our congregation I greatly appreciate and respect. 
she and her husband Jim came to Grace many years ago, and they became models, in my opinion, of what it looks like to live a life of ministry. They, they headed up for years, our ministry that prepares young engaged couples for marriage and did a fabulous job with that. They led small groups. They, they led certain events. They mentored young adults and taught classes. I mean, what an example they were. A few years ago, Jim passed away, and boy, we all miss him like crazy. What a great man he was. And I, I just wondered to myself how that would impact Lori's involvement in ministry. I mean, through the years, I've often seen that when a person's spouse passes away, that they kind of take that as a cue, well, maybe I'm just going to kind of hang up the ministry thing and kind of get on the sidelines for a while, withdraw from the front lines. And in many ways, that's kind of understandable because they're dealing not just with their own grief, but they're dealing with a whole new set of realities. But boy, not Lori. Not Lori. She has continued to serve God and let her life be her ministry. On December 18th, just several weeks ago, I received this email from Lori that indicates where her heart and her focus are these days, and she gave me permission to share it with you. Rex, today's message was such a special message for me. I'm so encouraged by the fact the Lord has given me a purpose, and it's a faith builder. When Jim went to heaven, I knew in my heart of hearts that the Lord had something special for my life and that he would not leave me in the pain of loss. I was given a job in such an unconventional way last year, it had to be him. For a year, I've been working, and then she names the place where she works, as their property manager. It's been such a precious ministry that I can hardly wait to go to work each day. There are so many hurting people moving into our complex with the need to be loved, and I love showing them Jesus. I love that Jesus doesn't care if I'm going to be 75 when it comes to doing his work. In just the last few weeks, two women who've suffered divorce have moved in, and they want to share. And if I were not alone, it would be hard to dedicate so much time to mentoring them. Needless to say, I would love to have my sweetheart, but I am loving the life Jesus has given me. I love my maintenance team, and they are also wounded, hurting guys who are very young and need Jesus' love. Pray that I can be the person that would show them Jesus. Wow. Now that is letting your life be your ministry. Bravo, Lori Anderson, you're a model for the rest of us. Lori's just taking Jesus with her and representing him well everywhere she goes, just like statement number one of the covenant. I'm just going to represent Jesus well at all times. And I believe that if everyone lived with that kind of mindset, the church of Jesus Christ would be a powerhouse for him if every one of us lived that way. So as we wrap up this message and this whole seven-part series, what is this thing called Grace Fellowship that we're inviting you to jump in with both feet and get involved? What is it? Grace Fellowship is just a big group of a bunch of broken people who've made tons of mistakes in our lives, but who've put our faith in Jesus Christ. From the penniless to the powerful 
from the insecure to the overconfident, from the prodigal who is returning to the one that has tried real hard never to leave the Father's side. We are Grace Fellowship. We're a colossal collection of imperfect people who've chosen to admit that there is one who is perfect and we've given our lives to him. And we believe that, boy, he will make a beautiful mosaic out of our lives if we just choose to serve him with gusto and give him all the glory in the process. Bottom line, that's what we're inviting you to. Come and join the party. Father, thank you for your amazing, amazing design in our lives. Every one of us has been gifted with spiritual gifts, abilities, talents to be used for you. Thank you so much that you would use us in those kinds of ways. And Father, like Lori Anderson and so many others that we could name, I pray that all of us would let our lives be our ministry and that you would allow us to see some of that precious impact that you alone can bring when we just live our lives full out, full out every day for you. No holding back. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name.